morning. Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. I had a verse come across this week on my daily verses. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And I thought, there's my sermon. And then I remembered that our Sunday school lesson is taken from John, and last Sunday was I am the vine, or the true vine, I am the way, and uh, I didn't go that route. But as I was thinking, obviously everyone here that is here this morning has turned their clock an hour ahead, and uh, has changed time, and I thought of the example that we have in the Bible, there's two examples that we have of time change, one is Joshua, the other is Hezekiah, so this morning I thought I would look at Joshua's account as it relates to time and some of the lessons that we can learn from Joshua. As a boy, I enjoyed time change because at least this time of year, it meant summer's coming, winter is past, evenings get longer, if you want to say that, it stays light longer, you change the time, so it's an hour later. Uh, in studying this, I found it interesting that church attendance this morning is down 15%. I'm glad to say that I don't see that we have 15% decline. It's also stated that accidents are up by 6% today. Coffee sales hit the roof this morning and maybe next week because of time change. There is chatter of discontinuing this time change. So enjoy it, if you enjoy it. I don't know if it will ever happen, but they're saying that there's too much chaos, too much trauma with people with changing. Turn to Joshua chapter 10, if you're not there already. Verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 15. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and her king. So he had done to Ai and her king and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Hoam, king of Hebron, and unto Purim, king of Jemeth, and unto Japhiah, king of Lysias, and unto Debir, king of Eglong, saying, Come up unto me and help me that we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. 
Therefore the king, the five kings of the Amorites, and the king of Jerusalem, and the king of Hebron, and the king of Jamath, and the king of Lassus, and the king of Eglon gathered themselves together and went up. And they and all their hosts encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servant. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua sent it unto Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thy hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomforted, discomforted them before Israel and slew them with great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Bethron and smote them at Azekah. Azekah and Makeda. And it came to pass, as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Bethron, that the Lord cast down a great stone from heaven upon them unto Azekah, and they died. They were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Then spoke Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up to the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood in the midst of heaven, and hast not gone, hast not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him unto the camp of Gilgal. You want a title? Overcoming the Obstacles of Life. There's obstacles that we will face. Some of you may be facing obstacles, but it is a given that there will be obstacles that will come into our life of varying degree, um, varying circumstances that will be an obstacle to us. And I think Joshua is a good character to look at. What he did when he was faced with obstacles Joshua is basically the next Moses that was leading the children of Israel. Just a little context, he had made a treaty with Gibeon and uh, basically um, they were annihilating everybody as they were conquering the promised land and Gibeon was one that decided that they would make a treaty with them so that they could live. And we know the consequences of what all happened there, but being faithful sometimes makes life some more, com some more, let me start over, being faithful sometimes makes life sometimes a little more complicated. 
people of Gibeon knew that they were no match for these five kings that were set to war against them. And they put a plea to Joshua and said, Come quickly and save us. Help us. Can you join forces with us? You think Joshua gave a big sigh and said, It's not my problem. Maybe this is God's way of dealing with you. But no. He realized the treaty that he had made and he went. But first of all, I believe before he went, he did seek God's counsel because there in our verses that we read, it God speaks to him and says that I will go with you and will destroy, utterly destroy them. So Joshua had that promise. Seeking God's guidance. Why did Joshua seek God's guidance? I believe Joshua had learned from past experience, saw the the examples of what can happen and has happened when they did not seek God's guidance. Wasn't Joshua one of the men, one of the spies that was sent into the promised land? What was his report when he came back? I believe we can conquer it. Him and Caleb were the only two that had a different report than the other spies. So I see Joshua being somewhat of a different caliber or a different character than he had good good motives, good intentions. James 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God, and he'll give it to you generously without finding fault, and and will give it to him. And when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because if you doubt, you will be like the waves of the sea, blown and tossed in the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unable to in all that he does. When you don't know what to ask God, ask God for wisdom. He wants to give it to you. And ask with faith, believing that God will respond. If you don't believe in God, he won't guide you. Rely on God for help. This count here is spectacular as far as how God intervened for the Israelites. There's four four things that I pick out here that I see God helping them. One is I noticed that Joshua and his men, they left at night 
and traveled approximately 25 miles. Um, and as far as I know, it was all uphill. So the travel, the traveling was not uh, easy at all. And if I understand right, um, traveling with uh, your equipment slash whatever would have been used in that time, it was known to only travel about 10 miles uh, per day. So to travel 25 miles was definitely a good pace. And I believe God gave them the stamina that they needed to get through the night and to where they needed to be the next morning to fight. And then not only that, but so they did it all. They did an all-nighter, and then they fought all the next day, and then God lengthened the day and made another whole day. So it's three days basically, if I think that through correctly. closest thing I could think of was back in my younger days. I remember working for the neighbor and sitting in a combine, and I think if I remember right, it was 30 hours straight from start to finish. And I wouldn't want to do that again, because I remember getting off of that feeling very wobbly and sway and felt like I was on a boat all day. And uh, it's one of those things where I, I packed my dinner and my supper. And, of course, when you run 30 hours, dinner and supper have long been gone. And if I remember right, next morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, Danella ran me up a, a sandwich, and that kept me going. And the plan was that the boss was supposed to come take over at 9 o'clock so I could go get some sleep and some more food. Well, he had trouble, and he never showed up till 4 o'clock that afternoon. But I had other intentions for doing that. And you may wonder why, because the next day I was flying to Arizona for my first date. So I had to get brownie points. I don't remember. Christy says she doesn't remember, but I don't know if I was worth anything or not. So anyway, that's for what it's worth. But running that long, and uh, it can be done, but definitely not suitable for uh, good health. Second thing that I see that God helped him with is that he threw the armies into somewhat of a confusion. He made it unable for them to fight back. Sometimes when we have obstacles that we face, circumstances, God can work in ways sometimes that we don't think or anticipate him working in. The third thing that I see God helping them in is the hailstones that fell on them. It said that it killed more soldiers than what the Israelites slew that day. So obviously God was in their favor, working for them. And I imagine these hailstones weren't anything very small if it was going to kill them. 
According to the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, the, off the official world record for the largest hailstone belongs to an 8-inch hailstone that fell in Vivian, South Dakota in 2010. And it's estimated that a hailstone that size is going to travel at 105 miles per hour. So if you want to imagine that hitting you in the head, wouldn't stand a chance. And the most, the most amazing part of this thing is it hit just those that weren't Israelites. The Israelites were able to miss the hailstones. Then there's the most maybe spectacular miracle in the Old Testament, and that is as they pursue the army, Joshua realized that daylight was running out, and he prayed to God and told the sun to stand still. And it remained daylight. The sun stopped, and it stayed there for approximately for another whole day. And there has been, in verse 14, there has been no other day before it or after it that was like it. As I was thinking how time is figured out by the rotation of the earth around the sun, we have our days, and then we have our, our months and our years based on the position of the earth to the sun. What would stopping that rotation for one day do? Wouldn't it be very catastrophic? There was different reports that I found mentioned that at the equator we're rotating at about 1,030 miles per hour and if it was to come to a grinding halt everything would shift east? No. Yeah, no. I'm getting my my uh, centrifugal force. If the, if, if the earth is rotating that way everything would shift east. And I think it would shift I'm drawing a blank. It was fairly far. They said everybody that would be close to any buildings would be all plastered against the east sides or the west sides of the buildings. And anybody, the best place to be would be in the rural areas. Um, anyway, it was very hyped up. Um, very interesting. But I did find this interesting, that as the earth is rotating, there has been known that our clocks need to add a second every once in a while to catch it up to the atomic clock to keep everything in its timing perfectly. Well, just this year, 2020, um, have you got a second? Thoughts to be gradually slowing down. Our planet is suddenly spinning faster than it has for 50 years. Having gotten used to adding a leap second, what they call adding a second, is now that keeps the atomic clocks accurate, international timekeepers are now mulling over whether to add the first ever negative leap second or drop second. That's because last year saw the shortest days 
So the fastest rotation since people started counting. 2020 had 28 of the shortest days since 1960. So what is going on? Why is there speeding up faster? Their speculation is the glaciers are melting. It's always the glaciers. How quickly does the earth spin? Um, I'm not going to bore you with this, but one thing that I found very interesting is that the reason that this is very important to the atomic clock is that if the atomic clocks are not kept on perfect, precise time, that means that our GPS satellites and other things that pertain to GPS are going to be off. And this is how, this is how minute it is. So if the Earth spins faster and it gets to the same position a little bit earlier, a half a millisecond equates to 10 inches at the equator. So for if using GPS on a road, that's not so critical. But if you're farming and you need to be within two inches or less accuracy, 10 inches is about half a row off. Not quite, a third of a row. Can't have that. It's Einstein's general relatively theory, the curve in space of time, that is quickly going to become useless if we don't keep up with adjusting the atomic clock. The other thing that they find throughout time is the solar eclipses have helped them to keep time. And it's easier to predict the next solar eclipse if they keep the times accurate than it is to actually predict where it's going to actually happen. I'm just taking that information off of somebody else that's a little smarter than I am. So time. If Earth, I'm not sure how God did this, extending a day to Joshua. Did it come to abrupt stop or did he slowly put the brakes on and everything stayed placed and nothing changed? I like to think that with God, he said it and it was as is. Nothing became chaos. If the heavens are the work of his fingers and he stretches them out like a curtain and he can stop the earth from spinning on its axis for a day and begin spinning again with no big deal. If God can say, let there be light, and there was light. If Jesus can say to the raging winds, peace be still, and there's a great calm, all it takes is God, God's word. He says it, and it's done. It's just like a, uh, a man making a watch. Who's in control of the watch? He can start and stop that watch. God, if he made the earth, he's in control of it. He can start and stop it. It is interesting to know that there is some, I don't know if I'm going to call it info, but things that are out there that claim that NASA uh, found a missing day and it's defuted that that's, they're just saying that. But I did find it interesting that through history, the Mexicans do record of in the 16th century, they have some literature of some recording somehow that uh, implied that there was a day that night never ended for a long time. They were 
deprived the sun for fourfold night is how they recorded it. And there's other other, uh, people that had recorded things as well at different places. Probably the native people that were here probably wondered what in the world happened to their son. Little did they know that Joshua had prayed to God to give them the son for an extra day. In all the debate, let's not miss the point, God heard Joshua's prayer and intervened dramatically to help him, to help them in their war against these Amalekite kings. And in the same way, same God that we serve today, we can call upon Him and He can hear our prayer and able to do more than you can ever imagine. I believe God can heal bodies. I believe He can change circumstances. I believe God will provide for us in ways that are staggering and can stun us. I believe he means it when he says, if you remain in me, ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. God desires that we ask him, and that we, whatever it is that we face, that we uh, seek him. Is it possible that we're not seeing God work more powerfully simply because we are not walking with Him? We're not communing with Him, not talking to Him, we're not going to Him, seeking His His will, His way. It takes faith. God doesn't regularly make the sun to stand still. Or does He regularly make hailstones fall out of the sky to hit our armies that are against us. But he can, if that's what it takes. But I think he moves and works in other ways that may be more meaningful and more powerful to bring him glory. Sometimes it may not be dramatic. Sometimes it might be very subtle in how God works. And just recently, I can't think where I heard or read it or, and maybe somebody can help me out. It was talking about just real recently here of uh, the persecution over in India, I think. Um, it's all coming back to me slowly here. They, uh, it was called a herd of elephants. The, anybody else hear that? Am I going way out here? Um, what? Rick Rhodes. Okay, that's where it was. I knew I heard it somewhere. Um, these Christians were being persecuted and uh, exactly... So they were on the run. They were destroying their houses and being put to death. 
And exactly a year later, out of the jungle, a herd of elephants uh, would come and basically destroy these persecutors' house, houses. Wherever they were located, whatever towns, whatever villages they were in, they would come out and they would destroy them. They said how the smaller elephants would come in. It was as if the smaller elephants would come into, this, into the town and scout out the houses, and then it was only a matter of time the whole herd came in and would literally destroy. And it had these persecutors running for their life, and it was known to be the mad elephants. And uh, it was just illustrated that, you know, God still uses his creation to work. Um, you know, what other way can bring glory to him? You know, Christians had to suffer, but in the meantime, God still brought vengeance on them. We get into trouble and often make matters worse when we react impulsively rather than acting with wisdom. Maybe we choose to avoid the situation and choose the path to get out of it quickly. So how do we find wise counsel rather than reacting to life? Well, first of all, we can ask God, and that's very clear. You know, as a parent, you know, sometimes we need to maybe stand back and let our children struggle a little bit and wait for them to ask for help. Help that isn't asked for is generally resented. Maybe God sometimes has to stand back and let us struggle a little bit so that we can ask him for help. The Bible gives us principles. Listening to God's word can help us in making wise decisions. Walking with God on a daily basis. I believe Joshua had this. He had a relationship with God. A continuing relationship with God on a daily basis. I have a feeling whatever circumstance, whatever situation that came his way, he went to him and sought him. We can discern as well through those that are around us in church, our church family, our church brothers and sisters. That's how we sometimes can feel God's heartbeat if we're together. Counsel of solid Christian friends is invaluable. It's just like if I would have a ball, I'll use a volleyball, and I would throw it back to Ellis. It would take my arms, it would take my hands, it would take my eyes, take my muscles, and it would take my brain to calculate to get that ball back to Ellis. It took a lot of parts of me to make it happen. And I think church can be the same way. It takes each of you to work 
together to make things happen, to keep the ball moving. As we face obstacles and challenges in conquering them, we need each other. We need counsel and wisdom from each other. Sometimes we can use circumstances to determine God's will. And I feel that this can be a weak one. But if everything else all lines up and there's circumstances that just don't seem to come together and the doors continue to shut, then I think we need wisdom in understanding closed doors. If the doors open and everything else is all good, then I think we can move ahead. But we need to have the other factors in place and not just operate off circumstances. There's probably a good chance there could be some obstacles in your life It may be something that was brought about by your own action or something that just came out of the blue. And sometimes those obstacles can be overwhelming and you feel that you're beyond help. You may even feel that the situation is impossible. But you know what? God specializes in the impossible. There is nothing that is too hard for God. Learn from Joshua. As he faced his obstacles continually, he turned to the Lord. He opened his heart to him, seeking his help, trusting his provision, his love, his grace. And he yielded to his work. And the same can be for us. And we have the Holy Spirit that can help us as well in discerning in our life. As you move forward, as you face the future, there could be uncertainty. But don't look back. God will go with you. He will be your strength. And he will provide for you. closing this week some very kind people sent a song to me that they had sung and I went searching for the words of it and I couldn't find it so I had to listen to it over and over and over again to get the words because I couldn't write fast enough but I'm going to read the words and I think it was very fitting and they go like this I came to him again last night with a mountain on my mind. Worry and anxious, I knelt down to pray. I cried, O oh Lord, this mountain lies much too high for me. And then I heard him say, this isn't your mountain. It's not too high for you to climb, is true. I never meant for you to scale these heights alone. Come take your hand in thine, this mountain with you. And so in simple trusting faith I prayed, for grace each day, to leave the mountain with 
in the Father's hand. For long ago, he knew the road I would travel on. He knew, and he always had a plan. And then I heard him say, this isn't your mountain. It's not too high for you to climb. That is true. I never meant for you to scale these heights alone. Come take your hand in thine, this mountain with you. <laughs> 